Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. On a mission. Um, I love the Gospels. How many of you guys just love to read the Gospels? Um, go through the Gospels, read the stories of the Gospels, read the teachings in the Gospels. So, so many things happening within the Gospels, <clears throat> so important to us. Uh, so, so such, a, such vital writing um, in those books. Um, when you look at the Gospels, they're full of Christ's teachings. I mean, uh, it's amazing, you know, the Gospels are full of his teachings. And, and for that reason, it's, I mean, the whole word is his teachings and, and the apostles' letters are his teachings. But you get to see Christ walking um, and talking and teaching to crowds, to his followers, to disciples. He even teaches us as he has confrontations with Pharisees and religious leaders. He's, the Gospels are so, so special in that, in, in just for that, uh, in just in that case right there. We see parables as he teaches in these parables, which is like no, none other. And he mentions these stories, and he teaches us stuff through these parables. And um, th- some of these parables are just mind-blowing, which will leave people in shock and say, I've never heard anyone speak like this, teach like this, be able uh, to, to share the things that he shares in the manner in which he does. We were, we were able to see miracles and signs, wonders, all throughout these Gospels. I mean, they're full of God's miracles, and Jesus... I mean, he would be in Capernaum, for example, and there was a line of people just waiting for him to pray for them until sun would go down. He was praying for healing and casting out demons and doing amazing, miraculous things. Signs and wonders would follow him out throughout those ministry region of Galilee. We see that in the Gospels, it's full of kingdom truth, all these teachings like we said. We see Christ's deity in the Gospels. We see the Father's heart. Right? We see the heartbeat of heaven in the Gospels. How many of you can say amen? And, and the Gospels are, are, are very special. And one story specifically that I want to get in that's in the Gospels is of, is of this one man. Uh, this one man who was demon-possessed. You've probably heard of him. It's a very popular story. It's a very popular encounter. He's demon-possessed and Christ casts out his demons which we come to learn that they're legions of demons and we'll get into that and he cast them out and they go to a, a swine of pigs and we know what happens these pigs nearby they kind of jump off this cliff and perish how many of you have heard of this story of this man who was demon possessed in which the demons jumped into the swine of pigs most of you and and the story this encounter as we're about to read it it's written in three of the Gospels. It's written in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke. John does not speak of this story or this encounter, but Matthew does in chapter 8. Mark does in chapter 5, and Luke does in chapter um, 8 as well. And all three of these Gospels get into this. I think I told you to turn to Mark. I think I said chapter 8 by accident. If I did, forgive me. If not, turn to Mark chapter 5 as I correct myself there, and I want to read just through this story for a moment, because really today what we're going to do is we're just going to sit on this story, talk about this story, 
and just what does it mean for us today? What can we learn from this story? And what I love about this, that as we do this, um, you can also catch something. Maybe they didn't catch something that wasn't mentioned as you write notes, as the Lord is showing you through his scripture, and um, that it would be refreshing to you. Let's read. Let's get into this. It's Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. And this is the demoniac from Gadarene. It says this in verse 1. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and he smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, listen to this, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, <clears throat> the man saw him and ran to meet him. He bowed low before him, and with a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torment me. For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Verse 9, Jesus then demanded, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion. Because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding the hill, on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirit begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town that the, um, and the surrounding uh, countryside, spreading the news as they ran. And people rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who was being been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed, perfectly sane, Another translation says, in his right mind. And they were all clothed and perfectly sane. And they were all afraid, sorry. And they were all afraid. He was clothed, perfectly sane in his right mind. And they were all afraid. Verse 16, then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away. Leave us alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus says, no. <laughs> but Jesus said, no. Have you ever been told no by Jesus? Go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So, the man started off to visit the ten towns, the copolis, the ten cities on that region. And he began to proclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told him. Amen. The word of the Lord. Hallelujah. What did you get out of that, huh? I could just pass the mic, can I? 
What did you receive from that encounter there? I mean, such a powerful scripture. Here we have it in Mark chapter 5, and we see it in Matthew 8. It's written as well a little bit differently. In Luke 8, very similar to this, some differences as it's written and it's shortened. But all three gospel accounts agree that, as we read right here in Mark 5, that this man was uncontrollable. This man was being strengthened or overpowered or empowered, really, and led by a force that was way stronger and mightier than him. And really way stronger and mightier than than anyone around this region. No one was able to restrain him, Scripture says. As a matter of fact, when they would bound his hands and his feet, he would smash the shackles. they They were of no threat to him. What was in him was too powerful that man couldn't control it. It it says in the book of Matthew, in Matthew's writing, in chapter 8, it says that no one would walk that way to where this man was. I want you to understand how severe this man was. You've ever walked around the street and you see someone that maybe you're a little afraid, you're a little scared, like, let me just walk around this man because I don't know if he's going to... You ever been there? We were, we were at the mall yesterday or the day before yesterday. We had to go get something real quick. And a man just started screaming in the middle of the mall. And, and we were like, where, where's this coming from? And we see the gentleman. Now he's walking next to us. And I had to slow Nancy down and get behind the man. And let's just walk behind him. Let's have our eyes on him. Because he was doing something that wasn't normal around people. Just start screaming like that. Obviously, there was probably something wrong there. But, but you've ever been around someone like that? Imagine this man was so severe that... They wouldn't even go that way. That's what Matthew says. Mark says that no one could bind him, not even with chains. Think about what this man was dealing with. Think about who this man was. But yet when you look at Matthew in chapter 8, there's something that is very different about Matthew's writing. It is the only account that tells us that there was not just one man. That there was actually two men. And it was... Two men that were there living in chains uh, amongst the graveyard and cutting themselves and showing such a way of being. It was two men. But for some reason, as you continue to read Matthew, he, he takes off his eyes off that other man for a reason. Mark and Luke completely don't even, they don't even mention the other man. And there's gotta be a reason that they mention this other this was one specific person and not the other one. And there could be many reasons that I'm sure you could come up with. And I have some thoughts myself. I'll read you this scripture in Matthew 8, 28. It says, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs. They were exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. So Mark and Luke, they leave out this other guy. And maybe it's because the man that is mentioned was the, more, the man that was more intense. Uh, the man that, that, that had a more serious issue, dangerous than the other man. Maybe he had something over him that was way more extreme than the other one. Or what I believe, this is the reason why I think this guy was so important. And why the story continued with this man that we don't know his name. And not the other one. It's, it could be that... The reason why the story follows him, it's because he's the one that stays. He's the one, not the other one, not both of them, but
but he's the one that sits at Jesus' feet. He's the one to emphasize because he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And what else does he do? As he sits at the feet of Jesus, he also comes to Jesus. And what does he ask him? What does he ask him? Can I what? Can I go with you? May I follow you? Where you go, can I go with you? That man said it. Not the other man. This one man who we follow his story. He says, can I go with you? It's like the ten lepers. Remember the ten lepers? Do you know about the other nine that kept going to, to back to their town? No, you don't know anything about them. You don't even know if they did what Jesus asked them to do, which was to go show yourself to the priest. But we know that as they were walking, the ten lepers that Jesus heals, one of them, he recognizes that he's healed as he's walking back to his town. And he turns back to where Jesus was. And he runs towards Jesus. And he falls on the floor at the feet of Jesus. And he begins to glorify the Lord. And we know of that man. But we don't know of the other nine. We know of this man. But we don't know of the other one. I want you to emphasize this. I, I want you to see the emphasis here. I want you to see the work that the Lord wants to do in your life. I want you to see that he doesn't want to just start something in you. I want you to also recognize that he wants to complete something in you. God didn't just want to heal the ten men. What Christ wanted was he wanted them to come back to him as well. But it had to be their decision to come back to him. See, he gave them a command. Go show yourself to the priest. But one of them said, I'll do that later. I preached on this a long time ago. One of them says, you remember that message? I don't have to remind you. Ten of them said, let's go show ourselves to the priest because we're healed. But one of them came back. And what does he do? He falls at the feet of who? The priest, Jesus. When Jesus told the ten, go show yourself to the priest when you're healed, they thought, oh, the priest of our town. One of them caught the revelation and says, no, no, he's the high priest of God. And he falls at the feet of Jesus. And there's the priest. Jesus was the priest that probably this man caught the revelation. He's my priest. Why would I go to those guys? They're the ones that kicked me out of the town. I'm coming to this priest. He's the one that healed me. This man stays at the feet of Jesus. I'm telling you that this is what it's about. It's not about Christ just doing a work in you and starting a work in you, though that is good. But it's the completed work of Christ. It's the continuing work of Christ. How many times have we said that many start the race, but very few finish the race? Many are the ones that are called, but very few are the ones that are chosen. Man, I'm telling you that, yes, we all heard the sound. And yes, we are answering the call. But, but, but what will it speak of in a year from now, in months from now, days from now, this one man comes back to glorify Jesus. And he makes it a lifestyle. He makes it a lifestyle. He makes it everything that he is. It's a fascinating story. How many of you love this story? It's a fascinating story. You know, so many times we could grow accustomed to stories like this and like this one that we're reading and we could lose our fascination of it. And we're like, oh, that was so cool. No, it's more than cool. Because no one was able to control him. I'm sure doctors gave him special herbs from the ground and special things for him to drink. 
and maybe even smoke or something like that. I don't know what they gave him. But nothing was able to help him. No potion. Nothing. He would cut himself. He would live with a... Notice something. He was alive, but he associated with what was dead. How many of you are alive, but you associate with things that are dead? There might be something wrong. There might be something wrong. And, and he was there. His heart was still beating. They knew he was alive. They wouldn't go that way. They wouldn't take that, that journey. They, 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 they were terrified of this man. But, but, but yet he lived amongst what was dead. He, he lived. It's just fascinating. It's a fascinating story. And then I start to read and I'm like, why the pigs? Why the pigs? I find myself asking that. Why the pigs? For goodness sake, send them, send them somewhere far. Send them to the depth of the ocean. But why the pigs? I ask that question too. First off, all the gospel accounts, they tell us that this man, yes, he was uncontrollable. We know that already. And if you read there carefully, he's wearing no clothes. He ripped off, he tears off his clothes. Because the demonic influence in him wants to shame him, wants to shame him, and he's there naked, he's naked, and not only is he naked there, but he's living in the tombs, by the tombs, by the gravesite, by, by the gravesite, by the graveyard, and not only was he in the graveyard with no clothes, living in the tombs, but he was kept bound with chains and shackles that he would often smash and break them because there were no threat to him. Not only was there chains and, and, and shackles that he would break, but he was, he, he, he was filled with a strength that was supernatural. Uh, he was so fierce. Easily, he would break these bonds off. Easily. He was, he was just intense. I, I want you to pause here for a moment. Why am I just doing this? I'm just taking my time today because I feel so good because it's raining anyways, and let's just have a good time. But, but I want you to picture this. man. Have you pictured how he may look like in your head yet? I love to do that when I read imagination. That's why reading is so good. Reading is good because you get to use your the imagination that God gives you. How does he look like right now in your mind? I would love for you to describe him and then call on someone else to describe him so you can see the differences how you would describe him. I have him with long, crazy hair, very dirty hair. I have him with dry blood stains all over him, scars all over him. I have him actually rocking one of the, one of the chains. He kind of... It's ripped, it's broken, but he rocks it like a bracelet. When people get around, he tries to hit people with that part of that break, that chain. I just see him like that. I see him very strong, but I see him all cut up and be, I see him with dark, deep eyes. I don't know, I don't know how you see him. How do you see this man? I see him defeated. I see that everyone is scared. I see that he's not loved. I see, I see there's so much going on. Just imagine this man's appearance for a moment. What an amazing story this is. The second half of the story, this encounter, as you read it and as we read it, the man is different. How do you picture him now? He's totally different in the second half of the story. We start off like no one could touch him, no one could get around him, everyone is scared of him, he's so fierce, he's breaking stuff, he lives amongst the dead, he's cutting himself, throws himself in the water, in the fire, he's, 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 he's a demon, he's filled with demons. And then, the, and then the second half of the story, the second half of this encounter, the man is totally different. Now he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's, in, he's, he's there, and what a position that is, right, at the feet of Jesus. What is he doing at the feet of Jesus? You are master. 
You are teacher. You are Lord. He is putting Christ in the place of authority. I sit at your feet. I now am student. You are master. I am slave. You are teacher. I am student. Here is a man that was not able to sit under anyone's authority. And now, in the second half of this encounter, as we read, he is now what? Controlled under what? The authority of Jesus Christ. Come on. The second half of the story is totally different. Totally different. I mean, instantly there's a transformation. Instantly there's, there, there, there's a change. You know what else is different? He's not just sitting at the feet of Jesus, just hanging out, just like, I mean, he was crazy. He would shriek. The Bible says he would shriek. I don't know how to explain that. But when he would talk, he would shriek. What does that sound like? Anyone want to try that? Thank you. That's weird and scary and ugly. That's kind of what we heard at the mall. Like I was, maybe we should have casted out demons at the mall. We missed that one. We missed that assignment. Were we supposed to cast out that demon at the mall? Man. All right. He was shrieking. And then when he would talk, he went up to Jesus and he said, what? Son of God? Like he shrieked at him. Why are you tormenting me? He shrieked at him. Weird. Think about that. But now at the second half of the story, he's at the feet of Jesus. And not only is he at the feet of Jesus calm, but he's at the feet of Jesus dressed. Because Jesus covers the shame. Jesus covered the nakedness that this man was exposing to everyone in the village for such a long time. In an instant, Jesus begins to clothe him. It's like when Adam and Eve showed up to Jesus. And he says, boy, who told you to put on those leaves? Well, you know, I was naked. He's like, you've always been naked. But now you're going to live in shame? You sinned. He goes, but I got better clothes for you. I'm going to go sacrifice an animal. And I'm going to give you the garments of, the, of that animal. And he clothed them the first time ever with animal skin. You know, they were looking at you like, this is so much better. This is. He, here's a man that is now no longer naked, he is clothed, and then the scripture says he's in his right mind. Everyone say right mind. You ever felt like you've lost your mind? You ever felt like you're losing your mind? <laughs> mm -hmm. We could preach on that. And now he's in his right mind. Say it one more time, right mind. Right mind. Right mind. The Greek for that phrase, he has his right mind. The Greek description, definition of that is he has a sober mind. He has a sane, that's what NLT said, a sane mind. You just met someone, you're like, mm, that person's not sane. Huh. This person's not sane. I love them, but they're not sane. He has a sane mind. <laughs> Bethany needs to stop laughing like that in the front. He's got a sane, he's got a sane mind. You know what, what that word means? He's got a right mind? He's got a self-controlled mind. Self-controlled mind. We're going to get into self-control. So what does he have sober and sane and self-control in? You want to know 
what it's really talking about in that phrase? He is sane, sober, and he has self-control. But watch this. Especially over his passions. His passions. But I'm just passionate about this. Well, you still need to operate in the self-control of the Holy Spirit, you fool. <laughs> well, I'm just passionate about this. And the Holy Spirit gives you self-control. But I'm just passionate. Well, well, the Holy Spirit is order. How about that? The Holy Spirit is sane. He's not cuckoo. He's not crazy, okay? He's not wild. He, he's wild at things, but, but it's a, that's a whole definition of what wild is. But, but you know what I mean. He's not out of order. He's, he's sober. He's sane. There's self-control. And especially in our passions. I'll, I'll get into that later. But the man is there at the feet of Jesus demonstrating these amazing qualities when at once he was just, that's the nut job. That's the crazy man. That's the place. Mom, I think I want to go by the hillside. I'm going to go play a kickball game with my friends. No, the crazy man and his friend are there. You're not going to that side of the hill. I want you to understand, like, this is what was going on. You know what I'm talking about. Mom, you quiero ir para casa. No, no, no. I know who your tío's neighbor is, and you're not going to be around. Like, we, we've been there. It's No, you're not going to be around. Not, not if I'm not there with you. The crazy man lives there. And here's this man who was not just evil in his thought and in his action, but what does the scripture really tell us? He was a man who was what? Filled with a legion, a legion. Everyone say legion. A legion of demons. A legion of demons that were possessing and they were controlling every nature of his life. He, they were just possessing. Well, what is a legion? Well, you have to recognize that a legion is a lot. A legion, when you would look at a legion, was, was the largest unit of a Roman army. And it could have up to 6,000 soldiers. I'm not telling you that he had 6,000 demons in him. But this is to show us that there was a great many demons that were controlling this man. It wasn't just one or two and two and a few. It's not just two and some of his boys. No, no, no. It was a multitude of demons that were harassing, controlling, and possessing this man. This man had no control over his life. You with me? It was a legion of demons. A great many demons possessing and controlling him. I'm going to pause here for a moment because this story fascinates me. And this is the questions that I ask when I read a story like this. Ready? Have you guys asked this question yet? What do you think the question is? Anyone want to take a shot? Huh? No clue. What would you ask? What, what? You read all this, and what's the question that might come up in your head? Yeah. Here's my question. What in the world caused this man to get to the place where he's at? What did he do to get here? That blows my mind. Because you know what scripture does? Guess what? Guess what scripture does? It doesn't tell us. So it leaves me not knowing. And leaving me not knowing really does something to me. Because I just want to know. Don't just throw me part of the story, not the full story. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, when I was chasing Nancy in a sense, you know. Yeah, but 
you know, I was trying to holler at a friend a little bit, and, and when we were working together, and she says, you were trying, I was just friends with her, and she was trying to tell me things about Nancy, and not just me, I was trying to find out things about Nancy. No, but I think she likes you. But what do you mean she likes me? Like, like can you describe, don't tell me just a little bit of the story. I want to know the whole thing if I'm going to go into this. Like, I want, to, I want to know everything that's happening. Like, what things does she say? Does she like the way I look? Does she like the way I talk? Does she like the way I, like, I want to know every, so I'm reading this story about this man, and what happens about this man? He's demon-possessed. He's, he's, a, he's a mess, and one moment he's good, and I'm like, how did he get to this place? And then the Bible's like, I'm not going to tell you. I'm just not going to say it. Uh, the Lord's like, yeah, use your imagination. You like to picture him and how he looks in your brain? Now you picture what, everything that, he's, that he did to get to that place. Thank you, God. But how did he get to this point? Why doesn't it mention what he's done? See where I'm going with this? Why doesn't it mention what he's done? It mentions who he is right there, but it doesn't mention what he's done. The second side of the story mentions where he's at now, at the feet of Jesus, where he's gone, where he's going, what his end result is. But it doesn't mention how that story started. It started somewhere. Did it start when he was five years old? Did it start when he was eight? Did it start when he was 15? Did he start when he got his license and he thought he could do whatever he wants now because he's out of the house in his own car? Did it start when he got his first girlfriend because he thought he could do whatever he wanted to do with her? What, what didn't this start? Did it start when he hung out with those friends from that block and his mom told him, be careful, I feel like there's something wrong with those group of friends. What, what was the first thing that happened that caused him to go on this path that led him to the place where he's uncontrolled? Lobo. Well, I believe this. I believe that it's on purpose that we're not made to know about his past. Did you hear me? When Nancy and I got together, what, what did we say? I don't want to know about your past. Because I'm falling in love with the person that is presently before me. The past is the past. Why do that to each other? Some other couples have to do that. That's okay. I'm not saying you don't do that. I'm just letting you know what we did. <laughs> hey, we don't have to talk to each other about our past. So, so the story is interesting because purposely, I believe, we're not made to know about his past. Everyone say this. It didn't matter. didn't matter his past didn't matter how many of you I'm saying that right now and, and, and maybe you're watching maybe you're here and you're getting set free from your past right now you're getting just delivered instantly because you're recognizing that right now the Lord says it doesn't matter it doesn't matter it's so important that as I write your story from <laughs> oh, as I write your story from this point on I write it from this point on and I never mention the past that's how good our God is. So when he writes his word, because, you know, we got to come to a point, ladies and gentlemen, whether we believe this is his word or not. And if this is his word, when he spoke his word, he spoke his word. Yes? He decided that if I'm going to speak my word about my son, this demoniac man, then I'm going to start the story right there. And I'm going to go from there. But nowhere in my words are you going to hear me bask and speak and wave his past around watch this 
There was a man when I got off the boat who met me and he ran to me filled with demons. Watch what I do now. But what about his past? It doesn't matter. I'm writing the book, God says, not you. How many of you know that God's writing a book? He's not done. You think he's done writing a book? No, he's not. The Bible says that you, you, you are the living epistles. You are the book that is still being written today. Oh, but God only wrote one book. No, he did not. He's writing a book right now in your life. You are a living epistle. You are a walking book that people are reading. And guess what? He's writing it. Where does it start? Where will it finish? In the past, guess what? It doesn't matter. Come on, I think God should get some praise at least for that one. God deserves praise. So what does it matter? I don't know. You pictured him in your brain, not me. I mean, I did too, but I did it today as an exercise with you. But what did you picture in your brain, in your mind, in your thoughts, in your heart? What did you picture about this man? It didn't matter. What? What didn't matter? His mistakes didn't matter. His failures didn't matter. Listen to what I'm telling you closely. His addictions didn't matter. His struggles didn't matter and so on. It did not matter. Listen to this. You should write this down. We may not know of his past. We may not know of his past, but we're clearly aware of his future. Are you with me? Oh, man, that's good. I've had this word in my heart for six weeks. We may not know his past. But we're definitely made aware of his, of his future. I want you to think about this, and as you think about it, write it down so you can think about it later some more. Here it is. Ready? The only thing that you have, the only thing that you have going for you right now, right now, is the present. No? Let me tell you something. What can you go back to the past and do? You can't. You can't go back to the past and do anything. Can you go to the future and do anything? No. What do you have right now? The only thing that you have going for you right now is the present. You should write that down. I highlighted, I circled the word present. That's the only thing I have going. You know what I have going for me right now? You can take a guess. Take a guess. It's right now. It's this moment. You know why? Because I have plans in a little while when I get out of here to go do something. But you know what? My plans to get over there, that's not even promised to me. So what do I got to do? I got to be focused on the what? Present. But as I'm focused... As I'm focused on the present, I recognize that what? That it has an effect on the future. So watch this. This is crazy now. This is dimensional thinking. This is kingdom mindset as we talked about in the huddle. So what happens is this, ready? As I'm focused and the only thing that I have going for me is the present, I know that what I'm doing in the present, eventually I'm going to walk into it in the future. So I have to be what? In the present, wise in the present. Pure in the present, true in the present, because I know that this present will live out in the near future. Whatever we do now, whatever we decide now, what paths we choose now, the journey we're on in the present, what we have going for us is the present. All of that stuff, the direction that you are on, aiming towards, it's, it's going to hit you. It's, you're going you're gonna to run into it in the future. So I'll read the whole quote the way I wrote it. The only thing you have going for you right now is the present and the direction that you're on, that you're aiming towards the future. That's it. And, 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 and here is this man. We don't know his past, but we know his present. And as you keep reading the story, it takes you beyond the present to what? To his future and the things that he does and is going to do. Why? Because that's how God works. 
The man didn't come to the Lord and say, oh, Lord, if I could, I, I just need to go back. The Lord's like, no, don't worry about going back. It's like when he called the three, the three men to come and follow him. He says, well, I want to go back, you know. My father just died. He's like, no, let the dead bury their own dead. You know, and the Lord's like, stop looking back. The whole kingdom analogy is about not looking back. Why? It says what? That he who what? That he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back. It's not fit for the kingdom of God. You're never supposed to look back. Man, what did Lot's wife do? Whatever you do, baby, don't look back. There's fire falling. People are going to burn. People are going to yell. It's going to sound ugly back there. The past is ugly. The past smells. The past is fire. Okay? But stop looking back. Whatever you do when we run forward in the present moment and when we run forward, sweetheart, don't look back. I got it. I got it. I got it, Lot. You drive me crazy. You always think I don't listen to you. And as they're running with their children and with their family, what does baby do? Baby doll looks back. And what happens to her? The past, what? Kills her. If you continue to look back, if you continue to live in your past, it's going to continue to destroy you presently. And you'll never be able to see the fulfillment that God wants in your life in the future. The only thing you have going for you today is present i can't go back because if i live back i'm not even fit for the kingdom of god because the kingdom of god i've preached so many times is forward and up 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 never does jesus pray and pray backwards never does jesus speak and speak backwards never does jesus walk and walk backwards never backwards is foolishness go ahead and leave church today and go backwards go ahead and put your car and go reverse backwards all the way to your house live everything backward and you'll see what a foolish life you'll live you're called in the present to always aim forward it's a reminder the demoniac it's a reminder that to arrive to the destiny that God has for us, we cannot be seated in the false identity that the past holds on us to control us. I want everyone to say this. I am not my past. I, listen, and I get it, man. Some very serious things have happened to some of you. But I'm telling you right now, the powerful, saving, redeeming hand of God is greater, is greater than whatever happened to you in your past. I'm talking about a man who was possessed by multitude, legions of demons. You pictured him in your brain. And the past didn't matter. And who are you to come to God to bring up your past? When this man, we can't even mention a drip of his past. Are you with me? Stop living in your past. It's the present and the decisions we make now that will determine the position that you'll have in the future. What is this man going to do? Did anyone read the story with me? What is this man going to do in the future? Scream it. I need the YouTube people to hear you. Declare the goodness of God. Where would he go? Not to one city. Not to two cities. <laughs> I'm not going to stop at three cities. Not four cities. Nah, that's not good. Not five cities. Not six cities. LeBron James got it from him. Not one. Not two. But he failed. But this man's like, not one. Not two. 
not three, not four, not five. I'm going to go to ten cities and I'm going to declare the goodness of God and what he's done to me. I mean, that's powerful. His, his past and the false identity of the past no longer controlled and had a hold on him. He was now what? Able to what? Operate in freedom to what? Declare what God had done in him. If you continue to live in your past, oh man. If you continue to live in your past, you'll never, you'll never be able to fully declare what God is doing and has done for you in the present. Because all that people will continue to hear is what's always happened in the past. And what people are starting short from hearing is what God is doing in the present. Man, that's good. This stuff speaks to me. This stuff speaks to my heart. So the vessel that once, I have about eight more pages. <laughs> okay, okay, we'll see if I finish it. The vessel that once held impurity now becomes a vessel that takes hold of the purity of Christ. Uh, how many of you were once impure vessels? And now you hold the what? The purity of Christ. You're a vessel of the purity. Of, you're a vessel of honor. When you were once a vessel of dishonor. You're gold now and silver. When you were once what? Clay and straw. Anyone with me? Amen. If Christ, with one word, is able to separate light from darkness as in the creation. Because yeah, I believe Christ is part of that. Then let the testimony of the demoniac of Gadarene, let it testify, listen to this, of the ministry of Christ that is still able to separate light from darkness. Maybe I should say it this way, or maybe I, su maybe I should suggest this. Ready? I suggest that all of you do this at some point this week. Write out your testimony of when the same Christ Jesus, the Son of the living God, confronted you and likewise separated you into light from darkness. Astrid came up here and talked about what? How God is good. How God was good. And what happened with her father? Did you follow the story? Presently there was that issue. But there was something in the future. That issue is no more. There was wholeness. There was completeness. I, I want to share this with you. The ministry of Christ has not ceased. Amen? Listen. Maybe... Maybe the presidency of Trump has ceased. But the ministry of Christ has not ceased. We are in the ministry of Christ. That's, that's, that's what we're in. We're in the ministry of Christ. That's it. We're in the ministry of Christ. And it has not ceased. It has not failed. It has not fallen short. It is not made powerful for just a specific time frame. No, 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 no. The ministry of Christ, listen to this, write this down and believe it for yourself. The ministry of Christ continues in all of us. Amen? Ephesians 5.8 tells us that for you were once in darkness, but now you are the light. Light. You are light in the Lord, and you walk what? As children of light. Amen? 
So that which was impure, this man, this demoniac, is now pure at the feet of Jesus. Come on. That which was impure is now pure at the feet of Jesus. I'm going to go back and I will repeat because I feel it's of so importance. That if you find yourself constantly, religiously relating to past sins, past failures, past struggles, past relationships, past hurts, past addictions. Can I flip the script on you? Even, ready? Past successes, past victories, past growth, past good times. Because sometimes it's the positive past that holds us down. It's not just, oh, man, I'm not just talking about negative past. I'm talking about all things that are past, even the good times, all past. Be aware. Be aware. Hope you're getting something today that looking and that focusing on the past and living it out still in the present, whether it's the good times or the bad times, subconsciously without you even knowing it may have a negative effect presently on your life because you're not called to live in the past. Amen? So think about what has been robbed from you today by continuing to think and live in the past. The man was at the feet of Jesus, for goodness sakes. The man was following Jesus back to his boat. Can I go with you? Do you think that man was saying to him, hey, I, I, I just can't because look what happened. In my, look, this is what I did. This, the man doesn't even utter those things. He's set free. He's delivered. He recognizes that. Hey, if this man didn't see my past, why should I see my past anymore? I'm going to go where you go. Think about that and what that means for us, what that means for me. So where is it in you? And I say this with all love, right? Where is it in you that in your current present moment that your intimacies with God has brought forth greater revelation of his love and thoughts towards you? Where is it? Where is it? Goodness gracious, I've seen people on all the sides on everything that's going on act a certain way. And the question is, where are the intimacies of God? How are they bringing greater revelation of his love and his thoughts towards us? How is that being displayed? How is that moving forward? In Isaiah chapter 43, I'm going to read some scripture if you don't mind, some reference scripture. In Isaiah chapter 43, and it goes with all of this, in verses 18 and 19, it says this, remember. Everyone say remember. Yeah, that's right. Remember. So when someone talks to you again, when You go have a coffee with someone again and just look at them and say, hey, remember, remember not the former things. Come on. Remember not the former things. Nor what? Consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing and now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Come on, church. Remember, remember not the former things. Ain't that funny? Remember not the former things. Remember not the former things. Don't put your mind to remembrance of those things. Don't put your thoughts to think back back on those things. Remember not those things anymore. Remember that nor even consider them the things of old. For I am doing a new thing. What present in your life? Amen? All right. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Jump to the New Testament just in case. Paul writes something very similar. And he says what? Therefore, if anyone, 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 anyone is in Christ. I'm talking about even a demoniac, even a prostitute. Yeah, you read all the stories from the scripture? Even a leper. If anyone, even an adulterous woman. (laughs) If anyone, everyone say anyone. Because you're part of that anyone. If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? An old creation. 
No. He is a new creation. And what happens with the old when you become new? The old has what? It's dead. Passed away. Not passing. Not dying. Not bringing it up. No. It's passed away. You buried it. You had a funeral service. You said, hey man, you threw a flower. It's done. It's passed away. Are you with me? Okay. The old has passed away. So what happens now? Behold, everything now is new. Who would have thought? Behold, all things now are new. Come on. Old is gone. Okay, I'll read you one more. Ezekiel chapter 36, the prophet says, For I will take you, God speaks to the prophets of the people of Israel. He says, From among the nations, and I will gather you out of your countries, and I will bring you up into your own land. So, so I want you to see this. Ready? I'm removing you from what? Past things. Are you with me? I'm removing you from former things. I'm removing you from the old, the things of old. To what? To newer things. To better things. To greater things. And he says in verse 25, ready? What do you mean you're going to take us out? What do you mean you're going to get us out of here? What do you mean you're going to remove us? What do you mean the old life is going to be no more? And verse 25 says, then I will sprinkle clean water. And you shall be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all of your idols. Huh? New things. I'm doing something new. Look at the next verse, verse 26. He's not done just with water. I'm not just going to give you water. Because when you receive the water, something else happens. Watch this. I will give you a new heart. New. Everyone say new. Not the same old heart. I gave you an old one, but I kind of did some touches on it. No. He didn't put a new motor in your old heart. He didn't put new cables in your old heart. He, 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 he surgically cut you open. We got into that childlike search. And he removed the old heart. And he spiritually placed a new heart within you. Removed the spirit of the devil. Oh, no one in here had that? The spirit of darkness out of you. And immediately, he says, I will put a new spirit within you. Hallelujah. And I will take the heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Come on, how many of you can say amen? amen? Surgery has been committed. Surgery has been performed. Hallelujah. Stop looking back. So the man known as the demoniac is now known as a son made pure. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, who's now his teacher, a master, and who's his Lord. The one who could not be controlled and tamed, we're back, we're back in the demoniac story. The one who was out of order, everyone say out of order, is now what? Sitting. What's, a, what's another word for sitting? Resting. The man lived without rest. The man would cut himself. The, the man would throw himself in fires. The man lived among the dead. The man would shriek when he spoke. The man would yell. They would hear him from the town yelling from the hillside. The man was a disaster. The man had no rest. But guess what? He's sitting now. What does that mean? He now has rest. How many of you just need to have rest? And what is he doing as he's resting? He's sitting in order. He's sitting controlled and he's liberated before the person of Jesus Christ. Before the power of Jesus Christ. Here was a man. Write this down in your notes. Here was a man who was not just made well, 
He was a man who was made whole. Jesus doesn't just want to make you well. Jesus, what he wants is, is to make you whole. Wholeness and wellness are two different things. I've let a, I met a lot of people say, everything's going well, but everything is empty. What Jesus wants is, is not necessarily just everything to be well. He wants everything to be whole. It's not just about being well, but it's about being whole. That's a cool thing to say now to people, right, Eli? When we call each other and I call you and say, everything well, Eli? Maybe it should change now. Everything whole? Everything whole? Or is there incomplete things in your life? Everything whole in you, Regal. Everything whole. Everything whole. He had a story. Write this down again. A lot of good stuff. Ready? He had a story. Everyone say, I have a story. I have a story. I have a story. Okay, don't say it. Ready? I know, it's the rain. He had a story. Not of how bad he was. He had a story of how good Jesus is. Is your story more about how bad you were? Or is your story more about how good he is? Come on, you're writing a book. What is your book about? About how bad you were? Listen, not because of anything. We all love each other here. But however bad you think you were, there was a hundred more that were worse than you. You weren't badder than the batter bear, if that made any sense. There was always someone better than you. Thank you for writing your story of how bad he is. But are you able to testify of how good he is? Amen. He was demon-possessed. What does that mean literally? Just demonized. He was demonized. He was not just demonically influenced. Many people that we might see, we might hear, they might be demonically influenced. But this man is no. He is demonized. He is demonically possessed. In this man, there were actual indwelling demonic spirits which had complete control of every aspect of his life. And then one moment with Christ, instantly, his mind is made right. The Bible says, again, scripture, I'm repeating, he was seen, he was seen sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and in his right mind. A man who was out of control is now what? A man who has what? Self-control. And I'm here to tell you, and I'm saying this with all aspect of who I, everything about me, that the, the whole issue of this man, once out of control and now living in self-control, the only way I could describe that is it's supernatural. It's supernatural. How do I know that? Because all the men tried to chain him up. All the men tried to control him. All the doctors tried to do their miracle on him. Every man in their intellect and their knowledge and their understanding of the medicine and of evil spirit, everything, they tried. But nothing, no one was able until this man encountered Jesus. And that was a supernatural encounter. Many people, many people come to church. Many people hear the word of God. Many people get goosebumps. Many people's hairs from the back of their neck rise. Many people even shed a tear in church. I'm telling you all that. But I'm asking you, not just if you're part of those many people that have had all those little experiences. I'm asking you if you've had supernatural encounters with Jesus Christ your Lord. That is different than just attending and allowing a goosebump to come into your skin. Raise up upon your skin. 
This man was like, oh, I just had such a beautiful time with Jesus in the tomb site. No. He had an encounter that changed him forever. You know what it changed? It changed the way he dressed. It changed the way he sat down. It changed the way he stayed quiet now. That man wasn't shrieking anymore. It changed everything about him. You want to know why? Because a supernatural encounter with God does not leave you incomplete. It will make you whole. Stop giving excuses and start entering into greater encounters with God. And stop hoping and wishing and looking for man to do with to you what only one, what God can do for you. Wholeness. I can make you well, but I can't make you whole. A doctor can make you well, but he can't make you whole. Christ, one encounter, makes this man whole. How many today need self-control in their lives? How many today need wholeness in their lives? Shoot, I know a few. Wholeness, self-control. Hey, come on, get yourself together. How many people need that? How many of us need that? It starts here. Self-control, that you've tried to build it up, find it in different places and in many ways, but until you realize that it can only be found in the encounter with Jesus. See, I'm going to believe this, and you should write this down. This is something that I felt the Lord told me. I felt it heavy in my heart when, I, when, I, when, when it fell and I wrote it down. And I'm going to believe, I'm, I'm growing, as I'm growing in the Lord, I'm believing that our actions and our outburst that demonstrate lack of self-control is due to the sole purpose that we're lacking in Christ encounters. That's it. Why is he so out of control? Because he don't know Jesus like that. Because he don't know Jesus like that. A man, a woman who is out of control has not come to grips with the encounter a supernatural touch by God. Amen? And we've seen this self, lack of self-control in these days. It's a time that we as Christians on this land, listen to me, the land is losing its mind. But guess what? We're in it. And we are the what? The salt of the earth. What are we called to do? Preserve it. We're it. We're the right mind while all the minds are off. Everyone is fighting. Everyone is calling their team. Everyone is saying, I'm this side and you're that side and I'm this side. And everyone's, what? We are the ones with the right mind. We are the ones who are sober, sane, self-control, especially in our passions. You have passion about stuff. You have passion about your sport. You have passion about your politics. You have passion about all these things. Good. You better have self-control if the Holy Spirit is living in you. The man is in his right mind and he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's, he's filled with self-control. What is self-control? What is this right mind? It's the ability to control oneself. Self-control. Particularly your emotions and your desires. How many of you have some desires, but you know that nothing about you is to act on those desires? Am I the only one? Oh, man, if I can just. Well, guess what? You can't just. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit in you. And that's on the line. And people are watching. So get what I can just. And shove it deep in. And swallow it. Because you can't just. You need to do what the Lord is asking you to do. Amen? I think so. I believe that that's what scripture is teaching us. To control ourselves. 
and our emotions and our desires, controlling the expression, the expression of all these emotions and, des and desires within our behavior even. To be able to have control in all these things, especially in what? In difficult situations. We are in difficult situations. You're going to continue to get into a difficult situation, but you have the Holy Spirit. You have the mind of Christ inside of you. So what? Put it on. Turn it on and make some sense in a world which has lost all sense. His self-control led him. He was seen and found that the what of Jesus? Come on, the feet of Jesus. I'm going to move from that, okay? Let's go on. I don't want to spend too much time on the pigs, but how can I mention the story about the pigs and not mention the pigs? Self-control. All right. It's very interesting to me, the pigs. See, what do the pigs tell us? And I'm coming to an end now. The pigs tell us that it's a Gentile region. Because no Jews are going to have a farm full of pigs. So we know that it's a Gentile region because Jews would see them as unclean animals and they wouldn't even tell, ah, I don't want that. So it's a Gentile region. And maybe, listen to this, it's the unclean spirits that wanted, let us go to those pigs. Why would the unclean spirits go to the pigs? Because they were unclean animals. So the unclean spirits always want to go into what? Unclean beings. What does that say about us as we read the scripture? I wrote this down in my notes just like this. Hmm, we need to remain clean. Because here are the demonics. They say, Lord, let us go to the pigs. And the Lord's like, yeah, we're Jews. It's cool. Get rid of it. <laughs> like, they're unclean animals. And the unclean spirits wanted to what? Enter that which was unclean. Enter that which was known to be unclean. It speaks to us here today. And that's what they want. And perhaps maybe Jesus, not only that, but he wanted to teach the people in that region. For what? Stop caring more about your possessions than your own people. I get it. 2,000 pigs jumped off a cliff. But guess what? One soul just got added to the kingdom of God. What's greater for you? That the 2,000 pigs you lost or that one soul got what? Added to the kingdom of God. Maybe it was that. Maybe he was telling them, be less concerned about the loss of your possession and be more concerned about the deliverance of one of your very own. It is obvious that the demoniac wants to take control. The, the, it's obvious that demonics, the demons, want to take control of what? Of hosts, of vessels. And the end goal is to what? To kill and to destroy. And I'm going to tell you this, that outside of Christ, choosing to live outside of his will is choosing to allow the enemy spiritual demonic beings to infiltrate your life whose end goal is always the opposite of God's. It's destruction and death when Christ is wholeness in life. It's interesting in this story. And then those in the region, they hear about what happened. And when they hear about what happened to the pigs and they hear what happens to the demoniac, they go see for themselves. And as they go see for themselves, what do they find? They see the man. They see him whole. They see him making sense. They see them clean. They see them dressed. They see them functioning. And what happens to them? They see them good. They see them whole. They see them dressed. And what happens to them? They're afraid. What are you afraid about? Sing a song. Dance. Cook a meal. It says they were afraid. Another translation says they were gripped. They were seized with great fear. Why? So they ask Jesus, they come to Jesus, and they say, get out of here. Leave, and, and basically leave quickly. They're afraid. 
They're afraid. What do you mean? Be afraid. When you study how communities work, these were the leaders. These were the leaders of the region, the crowds that came to Jesus. And the leaders, when their circumstance was out of their control. Come on, we're all leaders here. And when the circumstance comes out of our control, when the circumstance is out of their control, what did they do? They allowed fear to overcome them. When the circumstance is out of your control, do you allow fear to overcome you? And what do they do? They now draw decisions from that fear in which ultimately the outcome would be what? To draw Jesus away from the matter. I'm telling you today that if you live a life in fear, you'll always draw Jesus away. He won't have his glory. He won't have his purpose in the matter that's going on. These were people in the community rather being the leaders. Leaders that don't control their circumstance. But what? Instead of fear, they find what? Faith. A faith that in which will give a more favorable outcome. And that is to draw Jesus into the matter, not away from it. So what I, what I can say as well in this story is that be careful. Be careful that your decisions are not being drawn out from the place of fear, but rather that every decision is being brought from the place of faith. Amen? So have you asked yourself this as we come to a wrap here and the team starts to make their way up here? And I want you to ask this. It says that this man now who's demon-possessed, he comes and the leaders are screaming, scream out. They're making the wrong decisions because they're living in fear. The, demon, the, the pigs just jumped off a cliff. Come here, guys. This is a mess. Pigs are jumping off cliffs. People are screaming at Jesus. Can you imagine the commotion? The, the news was there in their trucks, and the guy was there. I'm reporting live. Behind me, there's a commotion. There's a man who says he's the son of God, and he just killed. Can you imagine what that looks like? And it says that the man who is demon-possessed, he runs up to Jesus. And as he comes up to Jesus, what does he beg? This is my, my point that I want to close off with and make sure that you understand. He begs Jesus, what? Allow me to go with you. Allow me to uh, follow you. And Luke tells us in Luke 8.38, he says, what? Jesus' reply to him is no. The Bible says in Luke 8.38, it says that Jesus, what? Sent him away. I don't know if you've ever considered that. I, I wrote this down, and I wrote it down just like this. I put this, wow, Jesus would do that? <laughs> he would send someone away? Have you ever been sent away by Jesus? Jesus says no, and he sends him away. See, the leaders out of fear pushed Jesus out. The ex-demoniac out of faith and out of love, wanted to what? Uh, to be in with Jesus. So as the leaders and the townspeople pushed him out, listen now, Jesus would now use the ex-demoniac to push himself back in. Oh, you want to push me out? Hey, bro, sorry, you can't come with me. You need to go back in. Watch how I go back in. How? We're kicking you out. Oh, no, no. Not by me. I'm coming back in by him. I'm coming back. I'm, I'm I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish in your city what I started. I didn't just finish with the demoniac. I didn't just finish with the pigs. Watch this. No, but you're out. I, oh, you think I'm out. And instead, he tells the demoniac, no. I need to send you back in. I need to send you away. He sends him away. Everyone say, sends him away. And you know what the proper way of saying that is? It's this, ready? He sends him on a mission. 
on a mission. I'm not kicking you out the team. I'm congratulating you. You're on the team. Now go your way. <laughs> he sends him away now, not demon possessed. He's free. He sends him away now with a calling over his life, with a purpose, with a message, with a testimony, with the spirit of Christ now living in him. How many of you could say amen? And Luke 8, 39, it says, return, he tells him. And return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. Where the people messed up was this. It wasn't in kicking Jesus out. Where the people messed up was they didn't kick out the ex-demoniac. They should have kicked him out because he's the one with the story. He's the one with the story that Jesus is good. See, Jesus was not the problem. The ex-demoniac was the problem because it says he went his way and he proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things that Jesus has done for him. Amen. As you stand with me, I'm going to give you this push here for a moment. And it's this, ready? Let them kick Jesus out. Can you imagine a pastor, a church saying that? Let them kick Jesus out. Let them kick out his word. Let them kick out prayer. None of this is the problem. Kicking out the word, kicking out Jesus, kicking out prayer, none of that is the problem. I wrote this down. It's because there's a people that have a message that will continue to announce throughout the whole world what great things that Jesus has done for them. Uh, how many of you know as we close up here, Madeline O'Hare? You've ever heard that story? Ever, ever know who that lady is? Madeline O'Hare was the woman that took that fought and took it to the courts to take prayer out of school. One woman, Madeline O'Hare. And she was used by Satan to begin the fight and eventually remove prayer out of school as we know it. So I was never able to pray in school publicly over a loud announcement. And many of our children can't if they go to a public school. But I wrote this down. You see, that wasn't a victory for Madeline O'Hare. And that definitely was not a defeat for Christians. I'm tired of people saying, well, that was a victory for the enemy. And that was a defeat for the Christians. We should have stood up and we should have fought. You see, the reality is that you could take prayer out, of the, out from the schedule of the schools. But you can't stop students from entering the school. How about a student that has the conviction of prayer in their heart? As long as they're in the school... There's going to be prayer erupting all over that school. Because there is no law that can stop that man, that child from praying. So when the powers kick out and push away Christ from their program, from their community, from laws, then what? This is my, man, my push to you guys. Then the agents of God become active. We become activated. That when they kick Jesus out, in return, there's a greater force that begins to penetrate. And it begins to penetrate through us. You may not have wanted him, but now you got us. And we're not going anywhere. The Christ that you tried to remove is the Christ that now lives in us. And we are here to announce throughout the whole world what great things Jesus has done for us. What do we tell the enemy? You caused it. When, when, when they crucified Jesus and he was dead on the first and second day, they, were, they thought they won. No, no, you caused this. When the upper room happened, you caused it by killing Jesus.
Killing him wasn't the problem. It's allowing him to become alive in all of us. That was the problem. And now we're going to tell the world of the good things that God is doing. See, by killing the firstborn, the Bible says, which is Jesus Christ, many now have become sons and daughters. They've allowed it to grow. By you trying to remove, all you did was cause it to multiply. By you trying to subtract, all you did was add. On a mission. What are we called to do in our present and going forward? I'm on a mission, man. How many of you are on a mission like the demoniac was, is on a mission? I'm on a mission. And my mission is so clear for 2000, the end of 2020, entering 2021. It is so clear. My mission is so clear. And that is to announce throughout the whole world what great things Jesus is doing. And I am on that mission. And he's working that mission through us. I pray that you understand that. Let's announce what great things the Lord has done. Let's come to agreement with that. I won't read it today, but in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 15, it teaches us, shows us that there's a great banquet that the king is preparing for his son. The banquet that the father is preparing, he calls his servants to do one thing. Go and invite everyone you know. Go to the highways, the byways, go to every city, state, go everywhere you can and invite people to the banquet. Invite people to the house of the Father for I am going to celebrate. And if they did not take the invitation, dust it off and go to the deeper places and bring the one who is lame. Bring the one who can't see. Bring the one who can't hear. Bring them and let them rejoice with the Father. We're on a mission. The demoniac went through it. And then from there on out, his life was on a mission. He preached throughout 10 cities all the good things that Jesus has done. All the good things of who Jesus is. His life was a book for everyone to read. And as church, we're on a mission. Amen? We're on a mission. Can you pray with me for a moment? Lord, we thank you for this call. We thank you for this word. We thank you for this truth. And Lord, it's that we're on a mission. Let nothing derail us. I don't, Lord, nothing on this earth, no laws, no man, no woman, no government, nothing, nothing moves us from the will of God. Nothing moves us from the purposes of God and his children. And that we would be people on a mission. Sons and daughters on a mission. Not focused on the past. Not focused on what was, whether it was good or whether it was bad. But focused right now in this present moment. That Jesus remains and is still doing great things and let us announce it throughout the whole world let us not stay silent about the things that are of you the things that are good so lord i encourage this family i encourage those that are watching and will watch that this will become a true a truth it become evident in their lives that they would know that they're called for such a time on a mission 
throughout the whole land to share how good Jesus is. Lord, we love you. Lord, we praise you. We honor your name. It's in Jesus Christ. And together we say, amen. Come on, can you give God some praise this morning? It's worthy.